Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Providence Journal's College Basketball Podcast. This is Bill Koch, sports writer for the Journal, in our downtown studios in Providence. Uh, it's a lovely spring-like Friday morning. Uh, doesn't feel much like December unless you look on the court. Um, we're getting ready for conference play. It, uh, it is the best time of the season uh, as we lead into the last three months in the NCAA tournament. Very much looking forward to it. Uh, joined on this Friday morning by my co-conspirator from WPRI 12 and Fox Providence. He's the sports director there, Maury Hirschgordon, ladies and gentlemen. Maury, how are we doing? Bill, living well. This is where the games count now, at least for one of the four teams that we cover here in our beautiful state. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, it is just one, isn't it? It is, it is just one for right now. Uh, but as soon as the calendar gets a little bit closer to the end of December, flips to January, all four will be in conference play. But uh, good to start off early uh, with the Friars in mid-December. And, and boy, do they have a, a tough test uh, right off the bat. A test where uh, ultimately on Saturday, if they're able to win it, you would likely see them in the top 25. And of course, that is at Connecticut. Uh, Saturday, I think it's a 5 o'clock tip uh, on the Big Fox. Yeah, the Big Fox. On On Fox Fox. Providence. Let's give a little plug. Beautiful thing on your home, one of your homes, Fox Providence. Um, UConn, obviously, number 20 in the latest AP poll. Uh, The Friars, third among teams receiving votes. Uh, I'm not not a voter in the polls, to be clear. Uh, I'm not one for making a huge deal out of who's ranked and, and who's not especially not on December 17th. Um, but I would ask the question why Texas Tech is 25th and URI, uh, URI and Providence is, for all intents and purposes, 28th after they beat Texas Tech. Yeah. It's kind of strange. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but to your point, polls really don't matter right now at this point in the year. Uh, it's, it'd be good for the fans to say, hey, top 25 matchup on both sides. We know Providence is, is right on the cusp or, or you know, willing or deserving to be in the top 25 right now. Uh, we know the type of game we're going to get. We know the type of atmosphere we're going to get. Uh, and it'll be quite a showdown at the XL Center in Hotford. A sold-out XL Center, as we found out from uh, UConn Sports Information on Thursday. Uh, Maury, I, I think the most important thing that you would look at, not the rankings, uh, not the record, which is a good one, 10-1, and one. Uh, but the fact that the Friars enter Big East play in firm NCAA tournament position, and that's obviously the goal. That's where they want to get back to. Um, you know, they would have reached the event had it been held in 2020. Uh, they made five straight from 2014 to 2018. Uh, and the way the Big East has performed in the non-conference, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for at least half the league to get back into March Madness. Uh, you're looking at at least, you know, projected at this point, six or seven of the 11 teams uh, the conference has been that strong. Providence is going to have a dozen or so of these opportunities like the one that's presented to them on Saturday. They're in really good position at this point. Yeah, based on their out-of-conference schedule and based on the results and the way that they've performed from the start of the season, uh, have no bad losses and have a bunch of good wins. And, um, you know, unlike other seasons, we talked to Nate Watson on Thursday morning right before practice, and he said he hasn't been 10-1 and during his time at Providence, and this is a guy that's only a few games away from setting the uh, record for most games played in a Friar uniform. He's about to pass Kyron Cartwright. So he's been around Providence a long time. They haven't been this good this early, uh, so they really have, have made their bed for themselves. As long as they don't, uh, you know, um, not capitalize on opportunities, you know, in Big East play, 
they, they, they should get into the NCAA tournament pretty firmly. I think now we can agree, as long as that doesn't happen, they're really playing for seeding. Uh, and right now, you know, it's never too early to look at. But if you're around a 7 or an 8 seed right now, the ceiling could ultimately be a 3 or a 4. Uh, if they put together a 14-6 and six conference slate or a 13-7, and seven, this is a team that has the chance um, you know, to be to be the favorite maybe the first two games of the big dance. But right now it starts with a win at UConn, and uh, they'll be facing a, a coach that they're very familiar with. Yeah, obviously a long road until we get to March and uh, some formidable adversaries along the way, and that starts with Dan Hurley and the Huskies. Obviously the former URI coach was in Kingston for six years. In his fourth season at UConn, and, and Maury, I think, you know, he reaches the NCAA tournament last year. He has a lottery pick in James Booknight. Uh, UConn is verging on what they are generally supposed to be. Uh, that's what Hurley was hired to do, uh, to pick up from Kevin Ollie, whose last two years are frankly unacceptable at, at a program like Connecticut. Uh, Ollie, obviously a national champion there with Kemba Walker and, and that crew. But, um, you know, you, you look at what happened after um, you know, and obviously his last two seasons and going to the American didn't help. Uh, you know, the conference affiliation really hurt UConn, um, you know, did some damage to that brand from the standpoint that UConn in the Big East is, is such a natural fit. And, and that's where the Huskies had, you know, the majority of their success, winning three out of their four national titles. Um, you know, I look at Providence more just wrapping up the non-conference with a, an easy win over Central Connecticut. Um, you know, you take that game by 15, you really only play the first 25 minutes, you're up, pushing your lead up to about 30 points, uh, you know, and then sort of shut it down. And, and I think that's, you know, veteran players realizing that you're playing against a low major who's not really going to come back. You've got a week off for exam break, and it's just, okay, we don't want central Connecticut. We want the real Connecticut. Let's get this over with. Let's get to next Saturday, and let's get into a real environment uh, with a real opponent who we could sink our teeth into a little bit. Yeah, they know they can uh, kill all of the mid-major teams in Connecticut. They've played Sacred Heart. They've played Fairfield, Central Connecticut. There's only a few others, or else they would have swept uh, the CT6 or oh, however come on many. Now, give, give Quinnipiac a little credit. Come on, <laughs> they get them on the schedule. They could have given them a push. No, they maybe a little bit. Um, we gave Maryland a little bit of a push. But, uh, but yeah, now it's UConn, and now it's the Huskies, and now it's a program that uh, has carried the torch in this league for quite a while, and... Um, I think you'll be able to sense, we'll be able to sense there tomorrow uh, on Saturday at the game that uh, that's a community that's, that's ready to be back in the Big East. Fans have waited a long time. They obviously weren't allowed in last year. So this is the first game that UConn will play in front of fans since they left the conference after the 12-13 season. So it's been quite a while. Mm. The program's juiced up. Uh, the, the, the community's juiced up, and, and hopefully Providence can use that use that energy and, and put it in the right direction. You know, UConn coming in 9-2, and two, uh, they have a, a fair amount of strong wins themselves, obviously beating Auburn, VCU, St. Bonaventure in non-conference. Uh, their two losses are by a combined seven points to Michigan State and West Virginia. Uh, Michigan State was at the battle for Atlantis. West Virginia is on the road. UConn's 5 for 37 from three in those two games combined. Um, you know, if they are going to lose games, it's because they go wayward from the perimeter. Uh, obviously, you're playing against the Mountaineers without Tyrese Martin and Adama Sonogo. Those are two big misses for the Huskies. Uh, we expect to see Tyrese Martin, the former URI forward slash guard slash do-it-all uh, type guy, on Saturday. He's battling a wrist injury. Uh, he was close to playing against St. Bonaventure, and, and I certainly think 
He'll be in uniform against the Friars. Sonogo is a little less certain. Uh, he has an abdominal strain. Um, hasn't necessarily been able to practice live just yet. Um, honestly, I'd be surprised if they risked, if they risked him here. Um, you know, I think if this was a game in March that they really needed, they'd probably try to get him 10, 15 minutes off the bench. But at this point, as we mentioned, with the schedule strength in the Big East, with UConn's resume being what it is in relation to the NCAA tournament, they're going to have just as many opportunities as the Friars for quality wins over the next three months. I can't necessarily see them putting a potential all-conference talent like Sonogo out there at the risk of a setback, and maybe he misses four to six weeks on top of this. Yeah, that's what the Big East is right now. There's really not going to be a bad loss. So if you, if you need to hold out a guy, even on the Providence side too, we're expecting to see Jared Bynum as well, and we'll get into that. But um, you know, even for Providence, not, there's not going to be a bad loss here, especially against a team like UConn or a team like Providence. Uh, even a game at home against the DePaul could be a Quadrant 3 game. Uh, but rarely should it be a quadrant four this year. And that's what Dan Hurley talked about when we spoke to him on Thursday, that there's not really these landmine games anymore in the Big East because of the out-of-conference work that the teams did. Uh, all the games, you know, the, the majority of the games should be quad ones and quad twos. Yeah, you go over to the net rankings, and, and right now as we sit here on Friday morning, um, you know, Butler is 132, Georgetown's 169. Everybody else is in the top 86. So you're looking at, if, if you're Providence, your road games, uh, sorry, your home games against Villanova, Xavier, UConn, Seton Hall would all be quadrant one. Your road games against Villanova, Xavier, UConn, Seton Hall, DePaul, oddly enough, and Marquette would all be quadrant one. Uh, Creighton would be in quadrant two, as would St. John's. Uh, you know, So you're looking at a, a gauntlet, really, that you're going to have to run through uh, if you're the Friars and you know, Maury, I, I think we should just take a look at Providence. You mentioned Jared Bynum. Obviously, he's had a right ankle sprain. Um, you know, he is back at practice. Uh, I wonder how much work he was able to do after the media portion closed on Thursday. Um, you know, I wonder how you reincorporate him into this lineup when, when you consider that, obviously, Al Durham looks pretty settled in to his role. Uh, A.J. Reeves certainly looks pretty settled into his role. Um, you've been trying to put together spot minutes between Alan Breed and, and Bryson Goodine, and, and certainly some of those could go to Bynum. Uh, you know, Durham has functioned pretty well with the prime with the ball in his hands primarily. Um, you know, gives Providence a, an additional scorer in that way. Um, you know, their front court is, is certainly uh, going to be the strength of this team, and, and you're looking at Nate Watson and Noah Horkler and, and how they match up with with UConn's bigs. Um, you know, but Maury, just you know, generally how you see the Friars prepared, ready to start tackling this Big East schedule. Yeah, well, it wasn't too long ago, Bill, that I was on with you uh, before the Texas Tech game. Um, and I said that I, I believe this Friars team has a little bit higher of a ceiling. Uh, believe that this Friars team plays better together without Jared Bynum. And that's not to say Jared Bynum isn't a talented point guard, and he is. Just feel like sometimes, like I said a couple weeks ago, when the rotation is shortened, guys know their roles a little bit more. They know there's a little bit more pressure on them. And most times, big-time athletes that we cover, especially in the Big East, when they know the lights are on them and, and they know that their teams are relying on them, they step up to the plate. Uh, that was before the Texas Tech game. We've seen them uh, beat Texas Tech, which is their best win right now, mm. uh, on paper. Sure, the win at Wisconsin was tough. No Johnny Davis. Uh, Johnny Davis is back now and a potential All-American. So Providence caught, uh, got a little bit of a break there when they went to Madison uh, early in the season. Never and they, hurts. 
Never hurts. Never hurts no. to get a little lucky. Never hurts to get lucky. We'll and, take it. And Ed Cooley said that on Thursday when we talked to him. You have to get lucky. Ball has to bounce your way for sure. Yeah. Uh, but Texas Tech, I think we can agree right now, especially with them being the only ranked team that PC has played and beaten um, in the country on their record, that Texas Tech was the best win. They did it without Jared Bynum. Yep. Uh, and then you win a rivalry game in URI. URI pushed them in the first half, pushed them again a little bit in the second uh, and Al Durham hit big shots. Uh, and then you beat a Vermont team who's a, who's a solid team out of the America East. So uh, they, they're 4-0 and without Jared Bynum. Uh, and I think if you're Ed Cooley, you really have to watch and be careful how you put Bynum back in. Back in. I think you don't touch the starting five. Um, not that the starting five is the end-all, be-all. It's going to be your best five players that play late. We know that. Uh, however, I just think guys get in routines, and I think this Providence team, there was a difference – before the before the Texas Tech URI week, where this Providence team knew they were capable of of getting big time wins, thought they were capable, but then once you go out and do them, and you do them in front of your home crowd, and you get that lift, you see your name starting to appear in the receiving votes section of the AP Top Twenty Five. Now it's for real. Now they're ten and now they're ten and one. Mm. Two five game winning streaks this early in the season doesn't just happen to every team in the country. So I think you have to keep the t- starting lineup the same and. Uh, you know, it depends. I think you dress Jared Bynum for Connecticut, and I think he's there in a reserve role. Um, but you don't want to touch Justin Minaya's role. You don't want to touch Ed Croswell's role. And those roles have increased, and those guys have stepped up because they've been down a man, regardless of the position they play. So uh, I think you have to be careful how you integrate Bynum. Uh, but it's always good to have another um, guard back on your team that you can use, you know, at your disposal. Yeah, the other thing there, obviously, is you're asking him to do calculus right out of the blocks instead of remedial math. You're playing against UConn, edgy, nasty, typical Dan Hurley defensive team, 43rd in the nation in defensive turnover percentage. Georgetown, which is Providence next game, they're in the 230s, and it's at home. So maybe a little easier spot to get Jared Bynum, get Jared Bynum a little more extended minutes. Then you have a week off going into Seton Hall, which is also a home game. Uh, Just in terms of the spot, in terms of player management, man management, comfort level, setting your players up to succeed, maybe that's a better spot than a sold-out XL center when you've got UConn unleashing a pack of guards trying to take the ball from you. Um, You you look at the Huskies, obviously, Maury, and and I know, know, obviously, you follow the program closely through your better half, uh, who is a big UConn fan. Um, You know, just... Looking at who they are right now, year four under Hurley, um, we've seen this sort of arc before at URI when he inherited a mess. Um, his fourth year, EC Matthews, ends up blowing out his ACL. That probably would have been an NCAA team on paper. The Rams end up going the next two seasons. His fifth year, his sixth year, UConn comes in for him. They manage to hire him and sign him to a long-term deal. Um, this has been a pretty steady progression up. Uh, you know, and obviously the league has a lot to do with that, being able to get out of the American and get into the Big East. But you look at all aspects of this program right now, whether it's player development, what they've been able to do with Book Knight, what they've been able to do with guys currently on their roster, the recruiting classes that they brought in. Um, I think UConn is on the cusp here of doing something very special from the standpoint that they're going to be back to who they were. They were, and they are. And Dan Hurley was brought in to win national championships and compete for national championships, and he said so himself on Thursday that he believes the program is is on the right path. Uh, you have to start winning games. You have to start competing atop your league. And 
I, I believe that's what UConn will do. They were preseason pick second in the conference. Preseason rankings don't mean much, but it is an indication uh, of the trajectory of your program. And right now, uh, UConn coming off of a strong out-of-conference um, you could tell that that the pieces are there. They still have to figure out who their their go to scorer is late, and they have to f- to work out some kinks when when the ball games are tight down the stretch. Uh, they've also been hampered by injury. So um, this team is a formidable team when when they're all healthy, uh, and they come at you at waves. I think UConn is the best team top to bottom in the Big East in terms of uh, one through nine, one through ten. Um, right. You know, I, I really do feel comfortable in saying that their bench. Uh, is the deepest in the conference, and that helps when you're playing at a battle for Atlantis like they did, and they took two out of three when you play three games back-to-back-to-back, or that helps when you play on a Saturday and a Monday in the Big East and you're on the road and you're facing two tough teams, Um, or that helps when you get to Madison Square Garden or the NCAA tournament. So uh, this team has been battle-tested much like Providence. Uh, This team has a high ceiling, and, and this team if they can get the reinforcements in Martin and Sonogo back, or at least Martin for this game, they should be um, about what the UConn team is at the end of the year. Yeah, going to be, uh, according to our friends at Ken Palm, UConn's going to be about a seven or eight point favorite in this game. Um, you know, that feels a little steep to me. Feels a lot. Uh, you know, I, I, I sort of had a, a reaction to, to that when I saw the number. Um, 73-65 final, which I also think is a little high. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I see this game like Ed Cooley does. I think the first team to 65 or 70 will win it. Um, you know, I don't think there's going to be anything aesthetically pleasing about it unless you like defense and guys punching each other in the face uh, on Saturday. But, um, you know, in that way, that is typically beautiful Big East basketball. Uh, that is what the brand has been over years and years and years. It's that physicality, that competitiveness, that toughness. Um, and we're going to see it very early out of the blocks with, with PC and UConn. Um, you know, thankful to have that game back. Uh, you know, oddly enough, just looking at the schedule, you mentioned UConn being picked second in the Big East. We have to wait all the way until February for UConn Villanova. Why? Why, why couldn't they have thrown us one of those in January, right? Well, why not? I sort of like it when it's later. Really? Just to play a little devil's advocate. Yeah, I do. I, th- I think it's nice when you have, you know, hopefully both teams at that point are whatever they are in the season. However many games are in the Big East before that. Sure. Doing some quick math. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 11. So, sure, if both teams come in at 9-2 and two, or one team comes in at 10-1, okay. and one, uh, maybe it's a top 10. Maybe it's a top 15 matchup. Uh, would have been nice. You know what's really nice that I like? The first time that UConn and PC are opening up um, in conference play, that they face each other in right? the Big East opener. It is. Um, so in terms wow. of a UConn back in the Big East, a regional matchup, um, it, is, it is a rivalry in terms of location, in terms of when they recruit. Um, maybe not necessarily when you look at it from a 30,000-foot perspective and you look at the success both programs have had. Um, but I think both sides understand that, that this game does mean a little bit more um, when they play each other. So, um, yeah, I think it's great that, that they threw us this bone um, than even you know, a UConn or, or Villanova game to, uh, to start off uh, Big East play with. I think, I think Providence is going to be up top uh, toward the end of the season. And, and what better way than to put this game on national TV right out of the gates? Yeah, going to be a good one. Uh, as we said, 5 o'clock Saturday on the Big Fox, Fox Providence. You're welcome. See? Let's See, I go. can do this. I can do this. I can do this. Station plug. Uh, Sunday will bring us uh, URI's next game, non-conference. Uh, they've got two left before they start A-10 play. Uh, they will face off against Charleston at a neutral site. 
in Washington, D.C. The Rams are hoping that that site is not so neutral. Uh, they've got several guys with connections uh, to the nation's capital, you know, not least of which is David Cox, their head coach. He is a D.C. native. Uh, you or I will go into this on a two-game winning streak. Uh, you know, their most recent Monday at Milwaukee, 82-58. Uh, over the Panthers and a projected lottery pick in Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, you know, Maury, I'm, I'm just looking at URI right now at 8-3. and three. Uh, You know, obviously against Milwaukee, Jeremy Shepard has a great night, matches his career high with 25 points. Uh, Makai Mitchell with 16-10, and 10, he has another double-double. Um, you know, Maury, just generally, uh, Rhode Island winning two in a row against Sacred Heart at home, against Milwaukee on the road, that's coming off the loss to Providence. Uh, and going into the midst of their exam break, uh, sort of an inactive period here for URI. Uh, between the 7th and the 30th, which is our conference opener against Dayton, you're only playing three games, Milwaukee, Charleston on a neutral floor, and then Brown at home before another eight-day layoff. Um, you know, David Cox, on, on Thursday at practice, he spoke to the fact that you know, that could give them some time to work with each other, to get better as a unit, to do a little bit of self-scouting in that way. Um, you know, just curious, your thoughts as, as the Rams go into a, a Sunday game, uh, I believe it's at the Wizards G League facility uh, in Washington, D.C., pretty cool venue. Yeah, cool venue, cool opportunity to go down, and uh, I think I counted seven seven coaches or players within there, maybe eight uh, within the program are from that D.C. DMV area, so uh, a good homecoming for all, a nice way to get home around the holidays uh, and maybe have extended family be able to watch you play in person as opposed to maybe just mom or dad or uh, aunt and uncle who, who just comes up to a game or two uh, every once in a while. You should be able to bring bring the whole crew. Um, yeah, in terms of Rhode Island right now, I think these last two wins were get-right games for them. Uh, you play a team in the NEC in Sacred Heart that uh, you should be way better than, and, and they were. Uh, the second half they were. wasn't necessarily a pretty first half. Um, and then, you know, against Milwaukee, you know, a team that was two and seven coming in and really struggling in the Horizon League, and the A10 is better than the Horizon League. And Rhode Island believes they're a top half team or a top tier team in the A10. That's a team that you need to go out and beat by 20, and they did that. So, um, I don't know how much you can take from these last two games, other than the fact that you jumped back into the win column. You feel good about yourself. Uh, you feel good about yourself going into finals week. Now that we're 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 done finals week, the guys can really just focus on basketball here focus on themselves and and they have two games that i wouldn't call up games but they're definitely um a little bit tougher a little stiffer challenge than uh the last two that they played in milwaukee to your point uh sub 500 team five years in a row uh and it's going to be six they're they're two and eight they're bad at this point really bad team uh you know despite the fact that, that you have one standout player um this is essentially going to be a guarantee game for uri next year when they return the home and home, it's going to be a buy game without cutting the check. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you figure Baldwin's off to the NBA, his father, who knows with his job security as a coach there. Um, <laughs> it'd be hard to justify keeping a coach who's however many games under 500 after five seasons. Uh, Laval Jordan was smart to get out of there after one year and, and take his opportunity at Butler. Yep. Pretty good move for him. Very good. Uh, send your agent a little, a little extra commission. Getting out of that mess, uh, you know, pretty impressive there. Uh, you know, you're looking at Rhodey against Milwaukee, and, and I think the best things you could take from that, obviously the start of the game, 10 nothing out of the blocks. 
Uh, and as David Cox alluded to on Thursday, the fact they didn't really let Milwaukee make a run in the second half. And I think we've seen in a couple games so far this year, certainly against Harvard, which was a game they ended up surviving on the road, and certainly against Florida Gulf Coast, a game that they ended up losing on the road. Um, you know, those were two games where you or I had double-digit leads, very comfortable leads early in the second half that they let slip away. Uh, Harvard got all the way down to three, and obviously Florida Gulf Coast, uh, they were overtaken late. Um, you know, so maybe that's some sort of sign of development. I, I just think that, you know, the main thing for me is Jeremy Shepard bouncing back. Uh, you know, because if this team is going to max out, and he is who they think he is, he needs to play at an elite level. Uh, three points against Sacred Heart in only 12 minutes. A uh, lot of time on the bench in favor of Sebastian Thomas, who was preferred you know, maybe is more of a true point guard, whether or not that's the head coach sending a message to his veteran guy, who knows. Um, if that was the case, what you like to see and what is nice to see, coach knows his players. You challenge your best player, he responds immediately the next game with a good outing. I, I think that suggests that David Cox has a pretty good finger on the pulse of this team. Yeah, it seems like right now Rhode Island feels good about where they are at 8-3, and three. Um, winning eight of your first 11 games. Um, is definitely worth something, uh, though I feel if, if Rhode Island is the team that um, they can become toward the middle and, and end of, of A-10 play, you have to go out and win these next two games, and, and College of Charleston presents a big, a big, uh, a tough task in terms of their, their, they're the fastest paced team in the country in terms of possessions per game. They like to get up and down the court. I'm very, very intrigued to see how URI's guards play in this one, uh, especially considering that Jalen Carey played well against Milwaukee. You have to think his minutes will will go up after that. Um, you know, we can it's a we can talk about it now. We can talk about it later. We'll talk about it for the rest of the season. Um, you know, your true point guard going forward looks like Sebastian Thomas. I just hope that um, he continues to get the time to grow and make mistakes early, so that it pays off when he becomes a sophomore and a junior, you'd hate that, uh, you know, for him not to continue to get experience if other guys are, are playing well around him. And I say that in terms of, sure, you're going to go out and try to win as many games as you possibly can. This isn't playing Thomas at the expense of losing. Right. Um, however, I do just hope he doesn't get forgotten on the bench because they do start three players, uh, three guards, I should say. And um, those guards are going to play the majority of the minutes. Um, the team just looked and felt really good to me when Thomas was out on the floor and he continued to play a lot and continued to increase his minutes when Carrie was out. Um, yeah, there, there, there are suggestions that he is probably their best fit at point guard in, in terms of his skill set right now. The question you ask is whether or not URI's ceiling is the highest with him playing point guard because he is limited. He's a freshman. They thought he was going to redshirt this year. Uh, offensively, he's not really a player you need to guard on the perimeter. Um, you know, so you'd be able to help off against URI's bigs, against maybe some of their other guards, uh, some of their other perimeter shooters. You might be able to shade, um, you know, in that way. I, I'm that's a curious balance for for them to find. I, I know they're sort of forcing Shepard into that scoring point guard role and and hoping that that clicks at some point. Um, you know, you wonder how Ish Leggett and Ish Elamine play off him going forward. Um, you know, Elamine only had two points the other night against Milwaukee. Was, was sort of invisible in 15 minutes. Ishleggett had nine. He was two for eight from the field. They need more than that from him. Obviously, in a 24-point win, it doesn't matter. But, 
you know, in other games, you, you're certainly going to need him to be a little bit of a scorer, uh, you know, somebody who can give you a little bit more production. Um, you know, so that's a curious mix uh, out there, and, and I agree with you. Thomas has earned his playing time. I, I think he's someone who, you know, sort of fits from a basketball sense. If, if you're looking at how I want to build a team, I want a guy who can handle the ball. I want a guy who can score it. I want a guy who can defend. I want a guy who can rebound and, and eat up in the paint. And I want a guy who can make some shots. And, and I think that's probably your best combination on the floor, you know, maybe from a chemistry perspective. Yeah, I agree. And we have to continue to see if Shepard uh, can evolve as that piece as we head into A-10 play. Yeah, it's going to be curious as we get into the A-10. Uh, you know, obviously, you're, you're looking at at-large resumes here or some of these teams, and no one really has a great one. Uh, you know, Davidson's your best team right now in the net. They're at 48. Uh, you know, even St. Bonaventure, who, who's getting and has gotten some love in the national polls, isn't really that close in, in terms of an at-large bid. Um, you know, you're looking at Dayton, and, and you brought up earlier, you know, how Dayton has sort of been like the, the mystery team in the league. Uh, you know, so young, so many young guys. They're the last in the nation in, in terms of uh, experience and the minutes they play. Uh, they average less than half a year in terms of the guys that they have on the floor for the majority of their minutes. And, and that leads to by-game losses at home to UMass Lowell, Lipscomb, where they really got blown out by 19, and Austin P. Uh, that also means that you can turn it around and beat Miami, Kansas, Belmont, and Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, so sort of Jekyll and Hyde there for Anthony Grant. I, I'm, I'm not sure he knows what to expect on on a given night. He knows he has talent, but you know, realistically, are are your freshmen going to perform uh, night in and night out, and especially on the road? Uh, you know, and obviously Dayton comes to URI in late December to open up a ten play. Um, you know, realistically, if you're looking at the the conference right now. You're looking at a team having to go 15 and 3, 16 and 2, 17 and 1. Uh, you know, even to make an at-large case in March, the the opportunities really, you know, just aren't there. There are a lot more landmines in that schedule than than you would find quadrant one chances. Yeah, and I know you talked about having a Villanova UConn esque matchup early in Big East play. Well, we're getting that in the A10. Uh, Dayton goes. Dayton has St. Bonaventure in the second game of, the, of A-10 play, and four of the first five games for Dayton uh, are at URI, home against St. Bonaventure, home against VCU, and home against St. Louis. Uh, so those are uh, you know, three or four teams that look like they'll finish in the top half. So um, we might know early if the A-10 will have an at-large contender, um, or if, if Dayton maybe splits those games, then... Uh, maybe that bubble bursts. Yeah, difficult. Uh, difficult, obviously. And, and as we said, you know, URI doesn't really have an at-large road here unless they put up a huge number in, yeah. in the A-10. It better be huge. You know, you're, you're talking 16, 17 wins. Yep. Um, and getting to the championship game. Right. You know, going deep into March yeah. in, at Capital One, uh, you know, in D.C. for the A-10 championship, which... You know, interestingly enough, uh, URI made the championship game the last time the tournament was in Washington. Uh, they were an at-large selection, a seven seed that year, took down Trey Young in Oklahoma, ultimately lost to Duke in the second round. That was in Pittsburgh, Dan Hurley's last game that he coached at URI. Uh, Maury, I would say ahead of time, uh, Washington is a great venue for the A-10 tournament. Uh, geographically, I think it's probably the best fit at this point. Uh, you know, you've got several schools in the league who play in the region 
It's not far away from the Philly schools whatsoever. It's the closest you're going to get to Davidson pretty much. Um, you know, not difficult travel for schools like URI, like Fordham. Um, you know, you have direct flights into the D.C. area, whether it's into Reagan or into Dulles. Um, you know, I'm actually really excited for, for March and, and for that event, and I hope that, you know, by the time we get to that point, there are at least two or three A-10 teams who are playing for real stakes in them. I agree 100%. I'm looking forward to the event as well. Um, you know, it's always, March is obviously always a fun time, but uh, something about Washington and just being, being uh, I guess, more centrally located for the league. Um, and according to you, makes it makes it seem like it's uh, the best location for the event. You know, we're speaking about March, and, and we're doing so maybe a little more cautiously than we were two months ago now, uh, you know, because we are seeing COVID-19 cancellations, uh, program pauses starting to pop up a little bit, and, and that's affected Bryant here. Uh, you know, Bryant had a couple players held out of their last game against Stony Brook due to contact tracing, uh, Peter Kiss and Hall Elijahs. And now they've had a game canceled at Cornell. Uh, you know, Bryant will be next in action now next Wednesday. They'll come out of exam break 11 days long uh, instead of a little shorter one. Um, you know, Maury, we're, we're looking at some teams dropping off here and, and some teams, uh, you know, mostly major teams, I think, who, who feel that most of their resumes are complete. Uh, for the NCAA tournament, that they're going to have enough chances in conference play. They don't necessarily need to take the risk traveling for a last game or two non-conference. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of pulling out of games here late. Uh, you know, I know Bryant would, would like to play just for the sake of getting on the floor and, and working on some chemistry, but I think the, the overarching thing that, that we're seeing, you know, going into the new year is, is obviously the, the latest resurgence in covid um, you know, what sort of threat that could pose to the season. I, I wonder just, you know, if, it, if you have any sort of visceral reactions when you see these tweets coming out, you know, Program X is shut down, Program Y is shut down. It, to me, it, it doesn't put me in a great headspace mental. No, it doesn't. And in terms of to keep it basketball here, I mean, teams have to continue to take advantage of the games that they get in. Um, you know, you, you can't, you have to make sure that you, Keep yourself as safe as possible. Keep your teammates and those around you as safe as possible and, and mask up and do everything you can. Get your booster, get your vaccine. But, um, man, oh, man, it's, it's, it is scary. It gives you flashbacks to last season, um, you know, when games are dropping and teams are scrambling and uh, there's inconsistencies with the amount of games the teams have played in conference and things like that. So uh, as long as teams continue to uh, push forward and, and push through the season, they have to take advantage of the opportunities and, uh, that's what Bryant has to do because, um, you know, they've got they've got some work to do now beginning in, in NEC play. Their season, uh, unlike URI, unlike Providence, really starts now, uh, right after the Eastern Kentucky game. Yeah, one bid league, obviously, we, we know that going in. Uh, I'm sure Bryant would have hoped to have done a little better than 4-7 and seven to this point. Uh, you know, they've had some tough tests, certainly. Uh, you know, but losing to Bethune-Cookman and losing to Dartmouth are, are two games that they would like back, uh, I'm sure. Uh, their most recent, you're shorthanded, you're at Stony Brook. Pretty good team, to be fair, yep, on paper. Uh, and you gave them a really good run, 86-78 loss. Charles Pride was really good in this game, 27 points. He's the NEC Player of the Week. Um, you know, Adam Alita had 12, made four three-pointers. Uh, Greg Kalix off the bench had his best game uh, to date at Bryant, 12 points and 13 rebounds. So made, And Erickson Bands played well, uh, the Pawtucket native. 11 points, 8 rebounds, 2 assists in this game. 26 minutes, 
off the bench. So maybe there are some things there for Brian to take forward into Eastern Kentucky. That's an 11 o'clock game. Uh, I think it's designed for Brian's players to get away and maybe get home for Christmas for a day or two. Um, you know, because you're going to come back and play Central Connecticut on the road. Uh, that'll be next Wednesday, the 29th, uh, and that will start NEC play. And, and obviously, you know, you're Brian, and, and you're looking at you know the conference and, and whether or not you can play for a seed, get into the top four, host one of those NEC quarterfinals. It, it's so important to have home court for those games, especially if we get into March and we do have fans. At the chase, you know what it's like there. Uh, you know, little cement box that, that can really get loud, um, you know, can be a real atmosphere. Um, you know, I, I just wonder, you know, what Brian is looking to do here into its last game against Eastern Kentucky, which is essentially a coin flip type game, according to Ken Palm. Yeah, they've played up a lot. Uh, they've played some good teams. We know that games that we didn't expect them to win. But uh, what I'm most impressed with Brian is, is the win against UNH bouncing back after that tough weekend at Houston and Cincinnati. UNH is a really tough team, really good team, older, experienced team, uh, versatile pieces, and for them to come out and, and win in a resounding way by 17 points, I think that showed showed me a lot because, to be honest, if, if, I, if, if I'm Jared Grasso going into that game, sure, he can say all he wants. You know, we're not expected to win these games or be competitive, and, you know, we're there to cash a check and get some experience and get guys on the floor. Um, he didn't expect them to be as far behind as I think uh, they looked out on the court. Um, and they're still working through some things uh, in terms of their point guard play and in terms of their backcourt um, and, and health, too, as well, getting guys all out on the court at the same time and playing well. Even, you know, even in a game like Stony Brook, you, know, you have some guys play well, and Chris Childs pops a two for ten, and that's what, shooters, that's what, that's what can happen to a shooter. Um, you're going to have great games. You're going to have games where the ball just doesn't fall. But that, that UNH game really did give me um, a little bit of confidence in Bryant going into NEC play, um, considering what, what the rest of the results were. You add on to that that it, it would be really hard to be a losing team for two straight months and then all of a sudden decide, okay, conference play is here and we're going to turn it on. You know, mentally, it just doesn't work that way. I, I think a lot of times these low majors, you know, they, they, take, they have to take checks, from power conference programs. There was a great feature in Sports Illustrated that was online this week about Coppin State and, and how they're essentially funding not only the basketball program but other programs in the athletic department. They're on the road for a month, um, you know, playing six or seven bye games in a row. Texas Southern's on the road, it seems like, until January 1st. You know, Texas <laughs> Southern started 0-7 right. and then authored one of the most unlikely upsets that we've seen in recent years, winning at Florida when Florida was in the top 25 uh, and winning by 20, I think, in that game. Um, you know, very strange. Uh, you know, but you look at those teams and you're just on the road and you're on a bus or you're on commercial flights and, you know, it's a never-ending trip. It's a tough way to live, man. I mean, it's so different from the top of the sport where you're chartering and you could show up whenever you want and your players have access to $30 million facilities, and you can call the trainer in a given time and say, hey, you know, my hamstring's acting up, I need some treatment, and you're right into the practice facility and right into the treatment room, and you get it immediately at 1130 at night. Um, you know, they're, they're operating in a very different college basketball world than, say, you know, the Kentuckys, the Dukes, any Big East team, pick any of them. Uh, you know, they're all funded in that way. So, you know, for Brian, important, I think, to, to take care of Eastern Kentucky you know, feel good about yourselves, get a decent three or four days of practice, and, and then handle Central Connecticut as you come out. Um, you know, we mentioned Brown, obviously, at the, the longest break that any of our teams will have, 12 days 
uh, in between a loss to Vermont and a trip to URI. Uh, Brown had won four straight going into that game against the Catamounts. Really good basketball game uh, played last Friday. 70-65 loss, a, a game where Vermont just finished a little better than, than Brown did. Uh, you know, Brown had a possession where they could have taken a tying three-pointer. They turned it over out of bounds instead. Uh, you know, they went with a couple of their younger guards down the stretch. Keno Lilly Jr., who was again the Ivy League Rookie of the Week, who who looks like a find for these guys. You know, someone who, who's going to be a critical piece going forward. Uh, they had him on the floor with Kimo Ferrari, who, who has generally been um, a reserve guard, a, a defense first guy. But that night he was 4-for-4 four four from three, and I think maybe... You know, Mike Martin's feeling this guy could knock down the tying shot for us. Um, ultimately, that last possession didn't go the way they wanted. Um, you know, but I look at Brown going into the exam break. You're eight and five. You're, you're essentially playing for a top four spot in the Ivy League. That, that's what you're looking to do. You've got two road games left: uh, Rhode Island and then at Maryland. COVID being what it is, who knows if the Terrapins will follow through? Whether or not they'll cancel that game. That's their last one before the Big Ten. Um, you know, and maybe exercise some sort of out clause in that contract. Uh, you know, but just looking at Brown, I, I wonder what it's like to have that long a period of inactivity in the middle of your season. 12 days, that's got to be strange. Man, that's a long time. And with the academic rigors that, that be the Ivy League and, and Brown University, that's got to be tough. I wouldn't know anything about that. No, me either. Me either. <laughs> and we went to formidable schools. But I, I'd like to but. think that, that BU is a decent school, but I, I, I would also like to think that the Ivy League is, is harder. Yeah, I would think a little bit harder. Like, uh, like it would have to be, right? Especially the course load that they have and, and the work. But, yeah, I mean, it's yeah, 12 days off is a long time um, for this Brown Bears team, and it's nice to be able to play a team that uh, is considered an up game and, and you only make a short trip. You don't have to you know get on a plane and go down to Maryland for your first game back after 12 games. Uh, after 12 days off um, this is a team that can make a 40 45 minute ride down to Kingston uh, this is a team that uh, can play a team that they that they beat on their home court the last time they faced off mm. uh, against one another when you are I lost at the pits that's right a um, couple years ago so um, yeah I think I think Brown your is going to be a great game on the 22nd it's nice it's a few days before the the holiday weekend so uh, if you have a little bit of free time or uh, if you did your shopping early, maybe get down to the Ryan Center and check out Brown URI because much like we talked about the beginning of the season with URI and Bryant, I think URI and Brown could be sort of the same script. I think it's going to be chippy. I think it's going to be physical. I think it's going to be intense uh, for the first half, and then uh, we'll have to see who emerges late. Yeah, Brown has played a decent schedule, and they've played some good teams tough. Uh, you, know, you look at what they did at North Carolina. They were in that game throughout, you know, losing by seven. They lost to Colorado at the Paradise Jam by two. Uh, you know, Colorado's another team that's a top 80 team right now, according to Ken Palm. Um, you lost a really tight game with Bryant, and, and then obviously Vermont, uh, you know, who is a top 100-ish type team, uh, the prohibitive favorite in America East. Um, you know, really veteran, experienced team, um, you know, team that, that defends you really hard, really well coached by John Becker. That, that was a good New England game, Brown and, and Vermont. Um, you know, and that's certainly two teams going forward that you, you know that you're going to get your money's worth on the schedule when, when you put those two teams there. You, you know that you're going to be challenged in, in a certain way. And, you know, I would expect Brown to do the same to URI. I, I know that, uh, you know, the last time they beat them at the pits, they made 13 three-pointers. I, I don't necessarily know if this team will shoot it that well when they go to the Ryan Center. I, I don't know if they're capable of a 13 for 28 like they were that night. Uh, I think they'd need to beat URI a little differently 
in this way, maybe take care of the ball a little bit better than you or I does, maybe score it a little bit, uh, you know, in the paint with Jalen Ganey, with Tamanang Cho, with Nana Wusuanane. Um, you know, they're certainly better in the front court than they were uh, on that team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I'm, I'm curious, just Brown coming out of exam break, I, I'm curious what sort of reaction you get. I, I'm curious if that's given Mike Martin some time to self-scout and, and maybe, you know, change a few things. If he feels like, you know, he wanted to see something different out of his team through the first 13 games. If, if four or five practices in a row is enough time to change some things and maybe throw, uh, throw you or I a little bit of a curveball. Yeah, to me it seems like it could be the, the breakout game for Tamaning Cho. And, and he did have that at UMass Lowell. URI is just a different, little bit different beast. Um, he's, he's been in double figures now four straight games um, after not being in double figures for the first six that he played this season. He's continuing to work through that injury and, and get back to full strength. Uh, but with, with, with the extended time off and with him continuing to get back in the flow of things, uh, in-game action, his field goal percentage is, is much higher. It seems like he's taking more of the right shots, making the right passes. His numbers are up through, across the board. Uh, it seems like if he's going to be that first-team All-Ivy League player, second-team All-Ivy League player that we expect him to be, um, with the time off, he could come out at URI and, uh, and pop. And, and if he can pop, it opens up so much for Paxson Wojcik and Keno Lilly Jr. and uh, Jalen Ganey down low and, and the rest of the Bears. So uh, to me, it seems like Tamaning Cho is sort of right there on the cusp to breaking out to, to being that consistent 12 to 15 point scorer that we're used to seeing. Yeah, that'll be Wednesday at the Ryan Center. We very much look forward to that. Uh, another in-state rivalry game. If it's anything like the ones we've had already, we'll, we'll be in for a good one. Um, you know, Maury, I, I think we will uh, wrap it up there. Uh, you know, as we said off the top, you know, excited about the start of conference play on the men's side. Obviously, the, the women's Providence has, has been going a little bit here. Um, you know, have already gotten started in, in conference play. Uh, you know, it's good to have the men joining them. Uh, you know, and, and aside from the Friars, we can see it in the near distance with URI, with Bryant, and with Brown. Uh, you know, and so with that, Maury, I thank you very much for, for taking the time, for joining me, uh, you know, and for everyone else. Thanks for listening, and hope you're well.